welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we're speaking with Jason Bruno. He's the director of the Office of Trust Risk Evaluation and Compliance at the Department of Interior's Bureau of Trust Funds Administration. So we're going to talk all about the ERM program there, how it's organized, some unique things they're doing. I think you'll enjoy it. So let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. All right. So we're excited today. We have the full crew. We're in person as well. We got Dan over here. How you doing, Dan? Hey, Paul. Doing great. Happy to be here in person. All Excited. right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Here we go. So it's a nice day out. It's not too hot, not too cold and uh, perfect weather for a uh, discussion with uh, Mr. Jason Bruno. Jason, how you doing? Good. Good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for coming out. Um, so Jason, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your ERM program. Um, you're with the uh, Department of Interior, but specifically the Bureau of Trust Funds Administration. That's right. All right. So tell us, yeah, just give us a little about a little bit about yourself, a little background. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, I um, uh, I've been in, in the professional world about uh, 20, 25 years or so. Uh, I my original training is uh, as a lawyer. Uh, graduated law school in in two thousand. Uh, came to DC. Uh, at, this, at that time to work at a, one of the big law firms in town, worked there for about seven years, and then went to the Department of Justice uh, for a few years before coming to Department of Interior. Um, worked mostly uh, litigation stuff, large, uh, complex lit uh, type things, including for Interior, and that's where I started with um, uh, the Indian law practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, I went to uh, a, uh, an office called the Office of the Special Trustee for American Indians. And that actually was the predecessor name for the, our current office, the Bureau of Trust Funds Administration. Um, and what, what that office is, um, is effectively we are the uh, trustee for the, um, for the FISC for um, Indian Trust Funds. Um, uh, and, and so I've, I've been with this office for about, um, uh, 10 years or so, uh, at the Bureau of Trust Funds Administration before that OST. Um, and probably the last, uh, five or six specifically, um, doing, uh, risk, internal controls, audits, et cetera. Wow, that's that's amazing. Thanks, Jason. So, could you give us some information, some background on where the ERM program is, where it is in its maturity, what you guys are doing there? Sure. Um, so it's um, well, it's not it's not complicated. So I I uh, when when I was brought on to to this specific office within the bureau. So uh, giving a little bit more background of Bureau of Trust Fund Administration. Uh, an easy way to, to talk to, uh, to people who don't know much about um, Indian country or, um, or, or the, the processes, the laws, the regs associated with it. Um, uh, the government holds um, you know, millions of acres of land in trust on behalf of native tribes and, and individuals. Um, any any money that gets made off of those trust lands, uh, uh, leasing, forestry, uh, oil and gas, grazing, et cetera, 
that flows through uh, the government before going to the tribes. It's part of our trust relationship that goes back, you know, 100, 150 years. Um, and so uh, that, uh, at about uh, 15 years or so, um, the, the responsibilities for managing the trust land and the trust um, fisc uh, or funds was split. So the Bureau of Indian Affairs manages the trust lands. Uh, the Bureau of Trust Fund Administration manages the trust funds, um, including all the um, accounting, receding, dispersing, and investment of trust funds. And there's about $7 million or so. So that gives you a little bit of background about the office. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as far as the ERM program, um, our office, like many government offices, historically had a, a fairly robust internal control program um, under, you know, uh, OMB Circular A123. Um, uh, and I, I, I think it, would, it was a, a solid program, but not, not atypical. Um, it was probably focused on internal controls over financial reporting. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, it, and it's funny, and we might get into this a little bit later, uh, the 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 interplay between or not the interplay maybe the overlap between um, internal controls for financial reporting that traditionally government agencies were involved with um, the way I, I best describe it is generally associated with appropriated funds so all agencies even if they're not one that's centered around financial matters, right, that, you know, um, Bureau of Land Management or um, uh, National Park Service or, or something like that, where there uh, are basic programs that are not financial in, in, um, in nature that need to get done. But all those offices will have internal control shops to, to handle the controls for financial reporting, usually associated with, with appropriate funds. So, travel, uh, timekeeping, um, uh, uh, training, charge cards, credit cards, car rentals, all, all that type of stuff mm -hmm. is, is kind of an umbrella that, that historically, you know, A123 handled. Um, the interesting thing about our office is because our entire um, purpose is financial in, in, in nature, our internal controls... Um, we, you know, from early on had internal controls, not just covering stuff like credit cards, um, car rentals, travel, um, time and attendance, but, but also stuff like receding of trust funds, dispersing trust funds, um, back office accounting of the trust funds, investment of the funds. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, so it, it gets a little complicated. I, I think of those actions as programmatic or operational in nature. Um, and so a lot of offices don't necessarily have internal controls. Um, well, they all have internal controls, but they don't necessarily have an internal control program specifically um, uh, focused on um, reporting on those internal controls for the non-financial matters. Um, and so because we already had um, you know, 
reporting on the financial stuff, which happened to be programmatic, it was really an easy move to an ERM program, which has a focus on um, uh, 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 navigating the risks for programmatic operational strategic mm -hmm. matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So where does ERM sit within your bureau then? Because it sounds like you guys had a head start, if you will, right. on having the foundations. So where is it sitting currently? Um, sure. So, um, our, our bureau is, is not atypical from, um, from others. So we have a, um, a director and immediately under the director is a deputy director or principal deputy for operations. Um, and under that principal deputy director, um, we have a field ops division. We have a, a trust accounting division. Our, uh, our OIR and records is under there also some uh, settlement support activities. So that's the bulk of all our operations are under the deputy director. I actually, I shoot out directly from the, the bureau director. So I, I report directly to the bureau director. Um, and under me is a suite of what I like to call oversight activities, mm -hmm. um, which includes ERM. So um, I have you know, five subdivisions, uh, enterprise risk management and internal controls is one. Um, we have uh, an, uh, a financial reporting group. Um, we have a um, strategic planning um, and project management group and, um, uh, and a data governance and analytics. Um, and all of that reports up to me. So the ERM program is a basically a standalone office reporting directly to the director. Okay, that's that's amazing. So can you give us kind of some sense of the maturity of your program or what you want to do next, where you want to take it to evolve it? Sure. Um, you know, we have over the course of the last five years ago, so I, I said a, se a second ago that when, when I first took it over, it was almost solely focused on internal controls. And my predecessor was really just starting to get off the, the ground um, with enterprise risk management. Um, and uh, so he, he really, really gave me a, a, a good solid start. Um, uh, over the last few years, we've established it from, um, from doing just some, some, pretty basic stuff in the ERM world, you know, um, you know, we have a, uh, ERM calendar, um, where we establish certain activities throughout the year and, and a maturity model, um, that at first was just focused on, um, identifying risk, analyzing that risk, um, um, ranking the, the risk, developing a risk register and a risk profile. We'd always developed some sort of risk register throughout our IC mm -hmm. um, internal controls uh, program, but we never really had a, a robust risk profile, which is a focus on, you know, top, people say top 10, some mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. top 8, top 12, top 15, whatever we want to call it. Um, so our first couple of years, we're just getting out a basic risk profile. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were uh, identifying all the risks and that we had active mitigations um, or, you know, that our departmental C, uh, CRO, a uh, guy named Jake Lee, he, he likes to call it uh, uh, treatments, 
not mitigation. Right? <laughs> I like that. Um, <laughs> right, because not all risk you can mitigate, right? So sure, you, yeah. you treat in, so, in some sort of way. Um, um, so th that was our, you know, kind of an early um, uh, maturity. And, and, you know, it was, it was good. It was solid. But what we're trying to do now is, is really integrate um, uh, risk management and into our bureau decision making, mm -hmm. both strategic and operational. Um, so we are trying to anticipate based on our understanding of the current risks, anticipate future risks, um, and and sort of get out in front of things, um, and and also really get our senior leaders, our, our senior executives, SESs, SLs, and our and our bureau director um, to to buy into making decisions on a on a risk based uh, way and and I think we we've really done that in, in, in great fashion so it, it we this year we're really focusing on trying to integrate the uh, ERM and our strategic planning project management activities yep, yep. excellent yeah I mean you know I'm just curious you know what are some maybe unique things you guys do that other agencies might not you know, have that kind of a risk, you know? I mean, what are some unique risks maybe to, to your programs? Um, we, it, it's funny because our agency basically acts like a, a trust organization mm -hmm. for our beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we have a lot of, of individual and um, personalized interactions with, you know, over 400,000 uh, individual beneficiaries, mm. um, plus over... Uh, you know, uh, 500 um, individual tribes. Um, so there's a lot of, of chances for contact with the with the outside world with our beneficiaries, and and in each potential contact um, has uh, associated risks with them. Um, um, and, and the other, I mean, just our, our our money management activities in general is is a little bit different from from most. Uh, feds, mm. right? Like some federal programs certainly do manage money, but it's uh, on a different scale, like some ERISA stuff or, or, or TSP type stuff where it's just investments. Yeah. But um, the, the money management combined with the beneficiary services, um, uh, you know, we're essentially a high impact service provider. Um, and, and because of that, um, we... Um, we have uh, so many interactions. So, so for example, I mean, one of the big things that we're dealing with are um, a, a real chance um, or potential for fraudulent activities mm -hmm. um, where um, someone will, will contact our organization and impersonate a beneficiary and say, um, tried to change uh, routing numbers for, for checks that go out. Yeah. Um, and then it's something like that has always happened historically, but what, what, what had typically done is someone would call our call center or, or call one of the FTOs in the field, oh, sorry, uh, fiduciary trust officers mm -hmm. um, in the field, um, pretend to be, a beneficiary, they might have some basic information about them because oftentimes they'd be 
uh, extended family member or something. So have some address information, some some um, passwords that might be or just important. have Google. Or yeah, just have Google, <laughs> right. Um, and then um, and, and say, oh, instead of um, sending my checks to twenty seven Jones Lane. Uh, have my checks being sent to uh, Winslow Street, mm-hmm. um, and it might take a little bit to to really track that down. Um, and in the past, depending on who was receiving the check, it might take a little bit. But eventually, we could track that down. Um, now, with the with the advent of apps like uh, a Cash App, mm-hmm. um, it 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 can be tricky um, because. Even when um, someone would call and try to change routing numbers to a bank, um, particularly in the post-9-11 world where um, you, you have to register certain information with your banking institution, so you can kind of track it down. With, with some smaller transactions, um, uh, a, an app like Cash App doesn't necessarily capture all the information. It's getting yeah. difficult to track folks down. So we're doing a lot of risk analysis there. Um, and there's a balancing of making things harder for the beneficiaries to access versus um, uh, combating fraud. Um, one more example. We, you know, our population of beneficiaries, a lot of them don't have computers. They might not have phones. They might have not have email addresses. Hmm. So, for example, two-factor authentication isn't a slam dunk, right? Your bank can say... No, we're not changing anything unless we do some two-factor authentication. So you're basically taking into consideration the customer experience. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And and all of that um, has to be kind of navigated with a risk-based approach. And I, I got to say, our SESs are, are fully on board. I get calls all the time about, hey, Jason, I want to change how you do something. Mm-hmm. Can you do a little risk analysis about this before I make a change? And I have a staff that, you know, will do some SWOT analysis at you know, or, or even some more complex kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have all the data analytics group, you got the financial folks, you got the strategic folks. That's great. The position you're in to be able to gather the resources you need to make these, uh, these analyses. Right. So, uh, no, that's really interesting. Cause yeah, basically, I mean, your, your guy's mission is a trust fund banking, almost like a bank or, you know, fiscal kind of. So I guess just one more question is about specifically about your program, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, all that taken into consideration, I mean, obviously don't share your risk register with us, but I mean, but you do, I mean, how do you ensure that you're just not looking at financial processes, you know, things that are operational or things that would affect even like IT or like you said, things like right. that, you know? Well, you know, you know, we, we do a, we, we, we spend some time trying to make our risk register um, truly enterprise wide because mm-hmm. it's a it's a big trap and and I talked to this about my my staff um, it, it's a trap to to keep uh, to to list on our registers um, you know risk that a, a, a given program is dealing with right um, so um, if if um, if uh, we're having issues with uh, how addresses are listed, and um, you know the checks go to the the wrong people um, too too often, right? Like you'll have some one-offs, mm-hmm. um, you'll have someone fat finger something, or or or, and we we generally have internal controls in place um, to address that. Um, but we're trying to keep out of our 
our enterprise-wide risk register issues that should be addressed on a programmatic level, you know, um, for example, you know, addresses uh, getting mislabeled or, or, or misnumbered. Um, that that's a that's a that's a programmatic risk. Where, mm-hmm. So I, I do try to keep the risks at a at a higher level. Yeah. So we we have stuff like certainly, um, you know, I, I I don't mind sharing some basic information, but our, our biggest risk are staffing challenges. For example, sure. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. We have we have retirements. We when we lose institutional knowledge, and as you know, our your listeners might know if they're feds, it's not easy to replace people and to hire on the federal level because of so many steps you have to do to, to, to bring people on. So if I have a position I want to fill now, and I get the st- process started now, maybe six months I'll, I'll have it filled. Or 18 months. Right. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, IT is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the IT stuff that we really get into um, – uh, this is another kind of training discussion I have with my staff, um, or, or especially people who aren't on really appreciative of the concept between residual uh, and inherent risk. Mm. Um, I, IT and cyber attacks is a is an example I throw out a lot because yeah. everyone should have some extent of of inherent risk uh, of cyber attack, especially with the federal government. It's just getting worse and worse. We get thousands. Uh, uh, of, of, of attacks. Um, but to understand where our residual risk is, which is um, the risk after treatments or mitigations, uh, really gives us a better understanding of, of how susceptible we, we are. So certainly cybersecurity risk is, is on our risk profile, but that's, you know, we want it, we have it there to make sure that we are, we are actively addressing that risk. Right. Yeah, yeah I always find it fascinating and ERM because you have to think like two steps behind, you know, not just so direct. Okay, this one application process they might do fraud, but what if like where we process applications floods and the whole building or the whole building burns down? I mean, those those like right. totally external factors. I mean, but if they're real, I mean, that's part of that's going to affect your program just as much as any very specific, you know, kind of wonky thing, right? So exactly, you know, and I <laughs> I do get one off phone calls from folks, you know, that the head we have as part of our our business we also are the the, the caretaker of um, of tribal uh, records yeah so there's a, an enormous uh, facility in uh, Lenexa Kansas just like just outside of Kansas City uh, actually in um, underground limestone caves because hmm. it's a perfect environment for 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 keeping paper records yeah um, uh, and I, I think it lasts um, Last tally, we had over three hundred and fifty thousand boxes, and each box has about two hundred two thousand pieces of paper on average. So we're in the hundreds of millions yeah. uh, of pieces of paper, maybe in the billions. I'll, I'll have to do my math. Um, <laughs> and um, so we have a facility that is constantly processing those documents. And I got a call from the director of the facility a, a month or so ago. Um, who said, listen, we have a, a pretty complex process for uh, security coming in and out of the facilities because they want to make sure that um, people aren't, you know, leaving with uh, with trust documents. Yeah. Um, and she asked, is, is there a way we can streamline things? Um, 
uh, to make it a little bit easier? Should we do random checks? Um, you know, do we do we even need a, a metal detector there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We we have a security guard, so um, I could work with her over the course of a few days or a few weeks to develop a risk analysis, and that helps her make that decision. Yeah, I'd be interested to know when you're going to run out of room within that cave. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Well, it's funny. There, there is a, uh, a um, there is new direction coming out of NARD to go um, uh, electronic records to digitize everything, and that's one of our big initiatives is uh, electronic uh, records management program. Um, and so, hopefully, that will keep us from running. I think we need to go to stone tablets again because, you know, <laughs> when everything blows up. <laughs> um, so just a couple more questions for you. We were curious to see, you know, what's the relationship with the department, the department level CRO, ERM program? How do you right. guys interact? So we have a, a, a great CRO at, at uh, Department of Interior, a, a guy named Jake Lee, uh, and he's been in that position for the last three or four years or so. Now, he, he'd been with the department for uh, – Many years um, in in one of the one of the sub bureau sub agencies, um, but our uh, Department of Interior made the decision a few years back. Just like I think a lot of, of federal agencies now is to to really focus in on giving resources to um, enterprise risk management. Um, so um, we have it's a it's a pretty robust program now. Even though it's you know I would say. Three, four years is still early on, but um, Jake came with a wealth of knowledge. Uh, you know, he, he, he walked in as, a, as an expert of, of ERM, um, and he's got a really tremendous executive support um, uh, uh, within, um, within at the departmental level for some of the things he wants to do. And, you know, it's, it's really challenging for at the departmental level because he and I talk uh, – quite a bit because, you know, it, it, you know, our department's a massive organization, you know, um, uh, you know, tens of thousands of employees, uh, dozens of, of programs. Um, and, um, and so what he's trying to do is track individual bureau or agency risks. So there's, uh, you know, dozens of agencies within the department of interior um, um, but also track uh, interior-wide enterprise risks. Yeah. So he's having to, to do it from both sides. And so we have he, – he sets up fairly regular calls with, with the bureaus uh, and the um, risk leads at each bureau. Um, they, they've established a community of practice um, and gives pretty solid direction. You know, he, uh, he's established a, a, an ERM calendar for documents that – um, that they'd like us to deliver instead of using our own um, format for risk register and risk risk profile they've developed a, a, a really robust um, spreadsheet for a risk register that we use and all, mm-hmm. the, all the bureaus uh, within the department use so we, we get we get good direction from them I, I really appreciate um, everything they give us so, Jason, in addition to your day job, which we were just discussing, and I'm sure that's a 40-plus-hour right. week, you are also the A-Firm president-elect. Yes. Uh, uh, so that's been a great experience. Uh, I've, you know, I've been associated with A-Firm for 
the last uh, few years, um, getting more and more involved. Um, uh, and at the at, at our last um, uh, annual conference uh, at the end of October, uh, was voted as the president-elect. Um, and um, I, I've, we, we have pretty regular meetings with the board. We have strategic meetings, uh, operational meetings. Um, and uh, it's been great uh, because uh, the, the, uh, the other committee chairs and vice presidents and, and certainly our current, um, our current president. So I'm the president-elect. It's generally um, the way the, the leadership at AFIRM works is that president is at a three-year obligation. Yep. So you have a, a president-elect, uh, a, a sitting president, and then a past president um, at, at all times. Um, and that really gives some continuity. Um, so a woman named Marianne Roth is our sitting president. She was last year's president-elect. Um, and um, she's got a, a lot of great ideas of, of direction. And I'm, at this point, I'm really just following her lead. Uh, she's, you know, she's brilliant. She's been doing um, ERM for... A, a lot longer than I have, um, and um, she's got a lot of great ideas. And I and I and she and I talked early on about the direction we'd like to take a firm. And you know, one of the biggest things we'd like to do is um, transform it from an agency that is um, uh, that is just um, servicing and providing guidance and information to folks who are beginners in the field. Um, because that's one big thing that a firm has always done a great job of is uh, training um, and um, and guidance for for young risk professionals. Um, uh, uh, and I, I think the next step is to is to is to focus on the folks that are uh, that are already seasoned. Mm -hmm. And working with them to take their knowledge and experience to the next level. Um, so it's it's really offering guidance to folks who who are are a little bit more veterans, but they really want to become experts in, in the field. So that's one of the big things we've been working on lately. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Any big uh, things you want you want to do when it's your uh, administration? Have you thought about it yet? Well, yeah. yeah good, uh, good question. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I, I think I'll take that concept and I'd like to really run with it. Yeah. Um, and um, I, of course, I I do love, uh, you know, I I um, I do love working with um, uh, young folks and and folks that are just starting out. So I, I, I don't want to lose that. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to lose. We uh, want to build on the foundation yeah. that's been set just like ERM programs. Exactly. You mm -hmm. exactly. exactly. Yeah. So that's pretty much. Great. Well, well, Jason, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on here and, you know, trekking out in person to do this podcast. We learned a lot and uh, yeah, look forward to, uh, to you having the, uh, the the run of the reins in the next year of the a firm, but yeah, we're we're having him on next year. That's right. We'll have you on president. for your for your president's <laughs> speech or whatever. So, but thanks again, Jason, for joining us today. Thank Fantastic. You. Thank you very much. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Affirm.org. 
That's where you find all the fine podcasts and learn all about a firm. Get some education, join up, become a member. All that good stuff. And until that next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Risk Chats with a Firm. Thank you.